Hey everyone, this is episode 132 of the Crowdfunding Uncut podcast. I'm your host, Kirsten Ross. And again, this is, we're in the middle of a top 10 series for the podcast. So we, over the last few weeks, have been dropping our top 10 most popular episodes, and this is one of them. I love this episode with Gareth Everard of Rockwell Razors because he's gone on to raise millions of dollars through his own personal brand, Rockwell Razors, and other campaigns and like startups that he's advised. And he's a friend that was introduced to me through Backerkit. He's in Toronto. He's literally almost the only person in this city that really understands uh like the work I do and that sort of thing. So it's really cool to be able to have like an open, honest conversation with him about this. And what I love about this podcast is Gareth had a very tough time starting with that very first product he had because of some quality control issues. And this is the other side of Kickstarter that, um, or even like bringing new products to market when you're inexperienced that you just don't think of until it happens to you. And the more, um, the more people I talk to and the more students we work with, the more it becomes apparent that uh, finding a great manufacturer and managing the product fulfillment and development side is actually a lot more complicated than you think. And that's actually the hidden killer of most launches is selling is the easy part, but actually bringing a a quality product to market is one thing that um, I don't want you to have to learn from your own personal experience, but take it from stories and experience of other people. So this is episode 132. It is our um, like second from last episode or no, we have one more after this and then the final episode 134, which is where we are wrapping up crowdfunding uncut. So this one is we are bringing back a reprise on how your Kickstarter campaign can ruin your life and what could keep doing with it. So obviously he learned from his mistakes that very first time and he went on to do several other Kickstarter campaigns um, and the rest is history. So we are wrapping up the crowdfunding uncut brand and podcast in a couple of episodes because we are actually launching a brand new podcast and a new brand that I cannot wait to reveal to you guys. So to stay up to date with our latest resources and to get notified when that podcast goes live, be sure to head over to our new hub online, which is kirsten.com. My name is impossible to spell the first time, so please write it down. It's K-H-I-E-R-S-T-Y-N.com. And apart from that, I will shut up and let's get to this interview with Gareth Everard of Rockwell Razors. This is Crowdfunding Uncut, the place where creators and entrepreneurs come to learn how to launch a successful crowdfunding campaign. Here's your host, Kirsten Ross. This episode is brought to you by BackerKit. BackerKit is a crowdfunding fulfillment software service that helps you take care of all the spreadsheet nightmares after your campaign is done. Let me explain. Once you have hundreds of new backers for your product, you're going to be exporting a ton of customer data that is probably going to change. People will need to change their shipping address. They'll want to downgrade some of their rewards. They'll want to buy more rewards. And when you don't have a system in place to help with this, it's actually going to be taking a lot more of your time dealing with customer service admin, and you're probably going to screw stuff up, which is not good long-term for customer relations. BackerKit gives you a full done-for-you software platform online where you can easily manage all of your customer data. And my favorite part about working with them is that once your campaign actually wraps up, they help you get additional sales from your customers by offering 
to upsell to more rewards or options that you may or may not have on your campaign. They have worked with more than 2,000 projects, delivering more than 3.5 million rewards um, and products. This could be digital products or, heck, even physical products to you guys. They've been amazing to work with. I've partnered with them on the show because I've worked with them in the past, and they are amazing. So if you are looking for a partner after your campaign, that's going to make your life super easy. They are the ones to go to. To find out more information, go to backerkit.com. But wait, at checkout, they're actually giving the uncut listeners, which are you guys, going to give you 50% off of their setup services. So when you go to backerkit.com, go to checkout and use the five code uncut, U-N-C-U-T. Hey guys, welcome back to another episode. I'm Kirsten. We could be found at crowdfundinguncut.com. Today I have, I think, one of my favorite humans, and I say this a lot, but um, Gareth Everard was introduced to me through BackerKit, which, as you know, they sponsor the show and they have an amazing service for uh, fulfillment software, BackerKit.com. But Gareth Everard, I sat down with him for coffee and immediately it was just like a Kickstarter nerd session, as you hear me say a lot. And so just to give you a bit of background on Gareth, he is the founder of Rockwell Razors, which can be found at rockwellrazors.com. Um, but he's successfully completed five crowdfunding campaigns and, ter- and created a successful e-commerce brand off the back of his very first crowdfunding campaign. And where I look at how we can focus this episode, um, I'd like to t- look at more the transition of uh, how he used that first campaign to launch several other successful product lines. But how he made the transition from uh, like a campaign to Shopify and e-commerce and actually make it a sustainable brand. Because I know this is like pretty difficult for some people to understand how you could take your one crowdfunding campaign to a successful business. And Gareth has been able to do that. So I'm going to shut up and let you actually give your own backstory. But Gareth, I'm like really pumped to have you on the show. Awesome. Yeah. Thank you for the very, uh, very kind introduction. So Rockwell was started about two and a half years ago while I was a, a senior in college. Um, just kind of realized uh, I wasn't, wasn't really feeling my degree and decided to start a men's grooming brand on the side. I saw there was a lot of potential in men's grooming, specifically in what is called a double edge razor. So, you know, in movies, when people cut up cocaine with a razor blade, like our razors use those razor blades. Um, so, uh, yeah, it, Essentially, we decided that there was a hole in the market for a really innovative kind of razor, like the ones that were out there were kind of difficult to use, and it was very obvious that they would be challenging to use. So we created what is called an adjustable double-edged safety razor. So you can change the angle that the blade shaves your hair, um, and therefore you can kind of have lower settings that are for uh, sensitive skin, more mild facial hair, all the way up to... Uh, to size six on the Rockwell, uh, which is kind of for guys who get razor bumps really easily, have coarse, curly facial hair, uh, stuff like that. And we just kind of threw the idea up on Kickstarter, sort of thinking it would be an interesting uh, side project um, with a goal of, I think, $12,000. Woke up the next morning with $18,000, and that campaign for the Rockwell 6S closed at $150,000. So this is kind of October of, you know, senior year in college. And we realized, oh, you know, we have a business on our hands. And, and that's when, I guess, Rockwell Razors really became a business for me. How did you choose which product to go after? Like, was, was this a big problem in your life and you've been playing around with this? Or did you do what 
Amazon sellers do and just test the market and see what people need and then just find a product to like, can you tell me how you chose that product to focus on? Yeah, absolutely. So um, we were actually originally, and we, uh, is me and my co-founder Morgan uh, back in the day, um, we had been making straight razors, which is like the Sweeney Todd kind of razor oh, um, yeah. Uh, yeah. back kind of out of like dorm rooms uh, in in third year and just selling them on Etsy is kind of, again, just a total side business. And we'd taken them to retailers in Toronto and London where we were going to school uh, and said, hey, would you like to, to buy these retail? And they said, oh, actually, people look at these. People really like the idea of these razors. But the razors that they buy are, are these other ones, these double-edged safety razors. So I guess there was a bit of market testing. Um, but we were definitely already kind of very loosely playing in the men's grooming space. Okay, that makes sense. Because I, I speak to Amazon sellers and they're serial product launchers, right? And they don't usually design their own product unless if it's something that they had struggled with. And so what they would do is say like, oh, I hear that um, men's shampoo is a great market that's not being tapped into. Let's read through the comments and find out what people are struggling with and make something better and sell it back to them, right? So that's bit different genesis of a product. So it's cool that you actually were, I can't believe you chose Etsy, but that's cool. <laughs> Etsy was cool back in 2014. Come on. Yeah. I've never been on Etsy. For me, I see it as like knitting wear and stuff. That was like my two glimpses. I'm biased. I, you know what? Um, I actually should probably go on it before I criticize it, but <laughs> you know, whatever. So, okay. You set a goal of $12,000. You woke up the next day and you'd raised 18,000. Can you walk me through that? Like, did you do any preparation for your campaign as in, did you have an audience or if not, what would you attribute your overnight success to? Um, well, we had been active uh, kind of community members in, in a subreddit uh, called Wicked Edge, which I guess is the community for classic shaving. Um, I, I wouldn't consider myself uh, like a hardcore shaving enthusiast um, or, or a collector of razors, which many of the people on that on, in that community are. I'm, I'm certainly passionate about creating innovative products and creating things that are interesting and uh, having issues with shaving such as like razor burn and cuts and stuff like that is something I, I am sensitive to and something I have experienced in the past. So I think there was a bit of an overlap in, in something that was a pain point for me intersecting with a very passionate community of collectors that just happened to exist in this space that we, we have stumbled into. And I believe the campaign really caught kind of a, a momentum amongst that collector enthusiast community. And that's what drove the early uh, traffic and, and pledges to the campaign. And how did you post on, I understand that you were a uh, regular contributor on Reddit, but when your campaign went live, how did you just drop a link in there? Cause that's pretty spammy. Like how did no, you get we, around that? We right. Didn't, we didn't post at all. Uh, it oh. would have been other community members that, that did. Um, and, and again, Reddit is, kind of self-controlling, like people will only, of course, share links if they think that it really is a community value add. Mm -hmm. And um, and I suppose someone someone must have. And uh, I, I do my best to add as much value in that community now as possible, um, now that I, I understand kind of the significance of, of the community. And actually, I empathize with a lot of the kind of the pain points that, that they experience. And it's certainly a very good sounding board for how, how to understand how to add more value for that enthusiast niche, I suppose, um, and, and really become kind of more involved in, in the business or the market that I, I ultimately would become involved in. 
That that makes sense. And so campaign one wraps up, you deliver product, you decide to go back and do campaign number two. Obviously, you had a great experience doing that first Kickstarter. Can you walk me through why you decided to use Kickstarter again for another product launch as opposed to just using the store that you had built at this point? Yeah, so uh, this is actually, this is where the story gets a little funny. Uh, the first campaign actually wasn't all rosy, roses and daisies. Uh, it was it was a very challenging campaign. So ultimately, when it, the campaign had closed, we'd said that we were going to ship in, in October 2014. Uh, sorry, we, we, the campaign closed in October 2014, and we said we would ship in December 2014, uh, just massively misunderstanding the complexity of manufacturing. Um and there a series of unfortunate events essentially occurred that uh, the the manufacturing partner we had selected for that first round of production unfortunately uh, massively misled my business partner and I on on kind of their capabilities and what sort of tolerances which is the shape of the metal that they yeah. could uh, abide by and um, and we had foolishly arranged kind of a drop shipping arrangement so uh, about two thousand five hundred poorly made some many of them about half of them i would say were poorly made razors reached our backers um and and there was a lot of backlash and this was kind of in january 2015 so so again just you know really crunch time and senior year of of school so i had kind of this moment it's like you know you can either really double down commit to make it right for the business we had of course half our backers relatively upset uh that their razor wasn't what they were expecting and frankly what not what we were expecting either um so you have a moment where it's like, okay, I can double down on this or, or you know, change my name on LinkedIn and, and go try something else. Uh, obviously, I chose to, to double down and went in with uh, almost all of my personal savings to find a new manufacturer and invest in new molds for a better manufacturing method called metal investment, uh, sorry, metal, uh, essentially it's metal molding instead of casting, uh, which is just a lot more uh, precise. And yeah, we proceeded with a new round of production. Uh, ultimately, about a year later, I ended up shipping out replacements to customers. At this point, it was just me involved in the business. Um, but I did ship out a free replacement razor to every single one of our original Rockwell success backers, like absolutely free, free international shipping. And that was in January 2016. Uh, and that brings us to then March 2016, where we launched the second campaign you were referring to. And if, if that story uh, sounds interesting to anyone kind of listening to the podcast or you want to hear it in a more yep. coherent coherent way uh, than I just explained, uh, you can Google VentureBeat, how my Kickstarter blew up my life. Uh, it was an article VentureBeat asked me to write. It, it kind of went you know, a vi- viral-ish like last March, but it's still up there. So you can go give it a read. It's a, it's a good read, I, so, I, I'd say. Yeah. You know what? Remind me not to rush you on to campaign number two. I want to dig into this a bit. So yeah. you... We're like, oh, we have the manufacturer set up and it's all roses and things are just going to work out. So it sounds like you didn't do any very much quality control to check that the razors were good before they shipped. So what did you do the second time around with the new manufacturer to make sure that you didn't run into the same problems that you had the first time. Oh yeah. So the first time, like naive children, they you know the, they said that their their quality control department had um, had done good quality control. This is with the bad manufacturer, and we were like, oh, that's great. Thank you so much for doing the quality control, um, which is foolish. Uh, so the second time around, before we shipped the the replacements in January 2016, uh, I actually I spent pretty much I spent time 
borderline living on the factory floor of, uh, of, of this new manufacturer doing all of the quality control for uh, five times 2,500, like over, you know, over 12,000 pieces myself, uh, just to make sure that everything that was being shipped out was you know, meeting my standards. Um, yeah, it was a, it was an ordeal, but uh, it's certainly worth it. It's kind of one of those, those, uh, I guess, proceedings that are classic in, in the foundational attempts to, to create a business. Um, it was, it was very hard. It was very, very hard. Yeah, it sounds like it. Um, but this is entrepreneurship 101. Yes. <laughs> Expect crap to hit the fan. That analogy is kind of like, and correct me if I'm wrong, but it's kind of like uh, me hiring a company to make a video and then not even looking at the video once for edits and just having them assure me that it's great before they go launch it on Kickstarter. Yeah, totally. That yeah. Is, that is pretty close. Oh, man. So... I have two people that do two kinds of people that do crowdfunding campaigns. The one that have their supply chain figured out and they've, this is not their first product launch or newbies like you were that first run. Um, do you have one piece of advice you would give to someone who is just starting out with Kickstarter fulfillment and making sure that they don't have the crap happen like you did? Yeah, I guess if you can allow me two points. Um, yes, on the manufacturing side, there's one thing, and then fulfillment is a whole other. So on the manufacturing side, uh, basically, attendance is mandatory. Uh, no matter what amount of money you've raised, I don't care if it's $10,000 or if it's you know $500,000, if you're making you know down the road from your house or all the way on the other side of the world, please, please, please attend the facility. Like during production, do the quality control after just just it will save you many 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 headaches and many dollars many thousands of dollars in the long term uh, to go meet your supplier be there as production is occurring and uh, quality control is occurring and even packaging is occurring um, just, just please go make FaceTime on the fulfillment side uh, please 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 talk to someone about international fulfillment. It is immensely more complicated than you probably currently think. If you've never shipped products internationally, there are international duties laws. There are different kinds of shipping services offered by a just plethora of different 3PLs, which is third-party fulfillment centers. Um, and, and shipping companies, you want to make sure that you're picking the right level of tracking, the right speed of delivery, the right competence level of your 3PL. Um, that will suit your needs, uh, your supply chain, and everything else. So please, please uh, reach out to someone who has experience with international supply chain and, and fulfillment and make sure that you're getting really good information Real uh, and just you know, be super careful before you start shipping product out or you could have a, a backer revolt on your hands, frankly. And who would you speak to about fulfillment stuff, for one? Um, right now, I have... Uh, I've, people in Toronto that I, I love. Uh, I'm, I'm also based out of Toronto, Canada. Uh, the, it's a company called Ship Fusion. Okay. Um, they're, they're kind of my 3PL of choice. They've done many, many Kickstarter campaigns, and they do the fulfillment for a lot of like larger brands that ship internationally, both on Amazon and just on Shopify. Uh, beyond that, um, Kirsten, you can just drop my email into the uh, the notes on this podcast, obviously, and people are more than welcome to kind of reach out to me, just maybe mention like Kickstarter fulfillment in the, in the subject line and, and I'll do my best to take care of you. Great. And I'll make sure that that's in the show notes too. Um, the last question I always ask anyways is how can people get in contact with you? Perfect. Um, cause this, uh, this fulfillment thing, um, 
are these conversations you would recommend having before you launch uh, to take into account with your cost structure? Um, yes. Ideally, you would understand the, the costs of international shipping before you make decisions on how much to charge your backers. I've seen a number of campaigns overcharge, like significantly more than uh, it actually costs to ship their products internationally. And you can see they just get backlash in the comments uh, and, and absolutely lose a lot of pledges. Um, because the shipping costs are too high. And then there are some people that absolutely should be charging for shipping um, for heavy products that aren't charging shipping at all. And, and I can assure you shipping a 10-pound you know, product from the U.S. to India is not an affordable uh, thing. So you want to make sure that you're accounting for that in your, in your campaign. So certainly before the campaign launches would be ideal and, and is an absolute last Stopgap um, before you send out backer surveys would also be better. If you if you just happen to have already launched a campaign and haven't spoken to anyone before you send out backer campaigns, please 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 talk to someone about fulfillment. Yeah, one hundred percent. And that's like that's something I feel that because um, I have when people hire me, I'm the marketing behind it, and I found that like in terms of like I'm great on product positioning and I can get your Kickstarter funded. But one thing that I've like realized like three months ago was I really need to get experts in my circle for the fulfillment manufacturing side because that you can really – it's one thing to set your goal, but it's another thing to set the price of your product and and how much you should charge for shipping. Those are – or even if you should charge for shipping, right? Like these are questions that backers need to deal with because they frame your freaking campaign. So I've had to learn a lot about the pricing and shipping with customer perception um, with that. So like I think that um, – I don't know. It's – I can't have – fewer conversations than, than we are about stuff like this. Cause these are costs and having your supply chain not figured out and by supply chain. I mean, your fulfillment, your manufacturing, your, all that crap can really, really hurt you. If you don't know how much you have to raise to make sure it's a viable project. Or a lot of times hardware campaigns are like, crap, I've raised $250,000, but I still need to get investment because of inventory, because of this, because of problems. And it's like the dark side of crowdfunding that I'm really glad that we are talking about because this shit is real and it can really destroy your life, as you just said, right? Yeah, I, I think really when even taking the commerce out of it, like at its core, what is crowdfunding? It, it's a medium where where the crowd is able to indicate their support for a, a product or a concept um, and they can vote with with what is, you know, a relatively small amount of money that adds up to collectively a lot of money to support a campaign creator. And the expectation, the inverse expectation is then that the campaign creator um, best delivers that that product or to the absolute best of their ability, like tries to deliver a product representative of what was in the campaign. And, and a part of that experience, just such a core part of that experience is the actual, the shipping part, <laughs> like the, the actual fulfillment. And I see so many people out there now you know, obviously, crowdfunding is a space that's getting busier and busier, and, and I'm glad that we have people like, like you who can be kind of a reputable source on the marketing side. Um, and and there are obviously less reputable people on the on the marketing side and the PR side. As as any campaign creator knows, you get messages from tons of of PR people who oh <laughs> are super sketchy. Um, so and much. <laughs> we're seeing that now in fulfillment as well. There are all these kind of Chinese. Uh, warehouses or, or shipping centers that are like, oh, we'll fulfill your Kickstarter for you. Um, I, I've pledged for campaigns that 
that use those services and they're disasters. There's no shipping. Half the time it doesn't arrive. It's just a terrible experience. So uh, I think with a lot of misinformation out there, with the, you know, it's just, it's a growing space and you, you just have to be really careful to make sure that you are serving backers to the best of your ability. So it's just, it's an area obviously I'm pretty passionate about. Yeah. The, uh, the last episode, and this is why you and I get along so well, cause we're just like, there's just this big, these problems that people aren't talking about and drives me freaking crazy. And like our, the last episode I just did with Mike Vardy, he's a super backer and it was really interesting bringing him onto the show, just asking him like, as a backer, why does he support campaigns? Why does he keep coming back? What are some mistakes he sees creators making? And it's all with like lack of communication, it's shipment failures, it's delayed timelines, like everything that you just mentioned. So like these things are real and no not many people are talking about it because unfortunately kickstarter is a great way for agencies to make a ton of money and screw the founders because they you know because most agencies including mine we take a percentage on the raise but you need to be careful that you're not charging too much or else it bleeds into their margins and blah 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 so yeah and and uh, actually it's a great point just for anyone listening who is speaking with an agency please please whoever you're speaking with begin asking them questions about fulfillment and make sure that they're at least fulfillment literate if they don't have a, like, better if they have a fulfillment partner that they work with and trust. If they're not considering fulfillment in those fees that they're charging you, just turn around and run. Like, run faster than you've ever run before. Um, yeah, I think my my best deal that I've ever made was with Jamstack. And the reason is because they, a local design firm and the videographer both like referred Chris to me. And the design firm had the margins and everything figured out so that when I did my workout with Chris, um, we had a fulfillment and design firm partner. And I can take that into account with overall costs of like what we would take on the marketing agency side and make sure that we were costing everything, like literally everything into the cost of the product and made sure that that price is validated before we said, hey, here's how much we're going to charge it for. So that's fantastic. Yeah. Frankly, everyone, you know? everyone listening who's considering launching a campaign should be looking for that that same attention uh, on, on the full uh, supply chain and all of the manufacturing and cost of goods considerations. I, I, I hope that everyone kind of takes all of that full scope into consideration before they launch their campaign. Not many do. Well, hopefully that will change. You know, this is why I freaking love working with current e-commerce sellers because they have the validation down. They have the supply chain figured out and they're just like, I know this is going to sell because X, Y, Z reason. And I already have a manufacturer and we have product uh, like clients that love us or customers that love us. And there's not like, there isn't that black space that people don't find out until it's too late, you know? Right. So... Man, we can go on and on and on. Um, yeah, <laughs> yeah. No, it's That's cool that. though, because like people really love these deep dives, and it's it's cool because I this happens sometimes where I'm like the intention of the episode is, and then we just go down this other rabbit hole that's way better than what we intended it to be. Well, hopefully there are some there's some nuggets of value. And, oh, uh, yeah. I love this. Yeah, no, this is I'm I'm loving I'm like big smile on my face here, but um. Why, what do you think was the one factor that made you successful when it came to turning Rockwell Kickstarter Indiegogo campaign into an actual business? Yeah, um, I, I think that certainly the the customer service angle was pretty key. There were obviously a number of, of backers that were rightfully very frustrated with the 
the first iteration of the Rockwell success, so that that product that originally had some problems. Um, and, and I think taking the the onus upon myself to to make it right uh, definitely bought, bought a lot of loyalty or earned maybe a lot of loyalty with those original backers, which is, is great because that's what crowdfunding is all about. Um, so to be able to then launch kind of additional products, like like we have a stand for that razor that also fits our other razors. Uh, we launched a whole bunch of kind of our own line of razor blades to go along with the razor and are continuing to launch more and more kind of shaving and grooming related products as time goes on. Um, and and our, our backers and customers have been very receptive to that. I think partly because they know that they'll, they'll just absolutely be taken care of. Um, actually, if people are are curious, you can read a little bit more about my take on, on uh, customer service for crowdfunding. Uh, if you just Google TechCrunch, how to fail at Kickstarter, even if you get funded, uh, I did a I did a guest post on TechCrunch, just kind of about um, focusing on, on customer service in your crowdfunding campaign and just how that obviously that just helps everyone immensely. Yep. I love that. And I was even thinking of writing my own, but hey, you've got that covered and it's in TechCrunch. So there you go. Perfect. Guys, go there. And any links that you're talking about in any articles, uh, send them over to me because I will make sure to put those all in the show notes so people can like get those later. Okay. So, uh, God, what else can we talk about? Where do you... Okay, no. You you told me this at the coffee shop when we met uh, a few weeks back, but I want to pretend like I don't know so you can tell me the story again. Okay. How did you discover what other product lines that you would release after the razor... Did you guess, or did you do something else that was pretty innovative, maybe including backer kit? Yeah, um, yeah so, uh, <laughs> I, I, I want to just preface this way. I know backer kit is a, a sponsor of the show. I have a very good relationship with backer kit, external to them sponsoring this show, um, and, and I genuinely do use them for all of our campaigns. Um, I, I highly recommend them, and that's like totally just my, my absolute raw opinion. Um, what we used backer kit for that was really, really fun uh, is, is obviously there's a lot of different products that you can create in, in a men's grooming space. Uh, and instead of just really going ahead and, and releasing them out into the ether, um, what we did is, as our campaign closed for the, the Model T and the, and the Chrome series, those are kind of the two new razors that we've launched after, that we launched in 2016, so after the 6S replacement shipped. Um, and after the Model T and Chrome series campaigns closed, when the backer kit surveys went out, it wasn't just, hey, what's your address? I also included um, kind of the product concepts and the ingredients lists and the packaging, like renderings um, for for a whole slew of other products. Let me pull it up. We've got like shave cream, shave soap, which is like a hard soap that you use with a brush. We have the brush itself. We have combs. We have beard oils, um, pre-shave oils, a beard brush. Really just kind of, I, I went to the well and thought like what what possibly else could be of a value add to, you know, the, the kind of men's grooming enthusiast community and, and, and what, what could be interesting to people um, and, and sourced those products. Like I had fully sourced and, and finished all of those products, knowing that not all of them would get made um, and, and essentially put those up on backer kit and saw the, the products that my backers were comfortable pre-ordering. Um, and I, I just doubled down on the winner's and um, and canceled the loser. So, for example, like deodorant is an example of a product that I'd fully sourced, um, 
but I, I don't believe we're going to proceed with just because it didn't garner enough uh, interest. Whereas shave cream, we like, it was just immense, immense amounts of interest, and, and we're proceeding with actually a bigger initial order than I'd originally planned. Um, so that was a really, really interesting way to use BackerKit, um, and, and I would encourage anyone uh, to, to leverage the add-ons section of BackerKit for a, a similar way that we did. Because what I really like about that is you didn't do the whole, because the other side of what you could have done is just guessed what people wanted and or, or ordered a whole bunch of stuff and then be like, hey, here's the order form. But what you did is you validated exactly what people wanted and what your other future product lines could be based on that fee- that survey because you had like it, you had clear winners and clear losers so like I freaking love yes. that yeah yeah I think this I think there's a period of time after a Kickstarter campaign where um, it doesn't make a ton of sense to start really investing in, in marketing and, and stuff like that because your product doesn't exist yet um, so I've really leveraged that time where I'm continuing to develop and, and keep a extremely close eye on the development of my razors I said hey look I'm, I'm I'm making product all day anyways. I'm kind of charting development for this product. Why don't I just go out and continue doing that same sourcing thing you know, for the rest of the day? Um, and that is how I spent many, many months after the, the Model T and Chrome series campaigns. And, and I'd say it's, it's really allowed Rockwell to scale in our product offering really quickly. So, um, so yeah, things are, it's just going to kind of splash onto the scene, so to speak. It'll be, I'm really excited. Another great thing about BackerKit is um, this came up when I was talking to the Purple campaign. Like Purple Pillow did 2.6 million. Um, okay. And Savannah Turk mentioned that Kickstarter really helped them save a lot of the faulty credit card transactions that happened. Yes. And so I just want to clarify something because I haven't. I confidently know this about 90%, but I just want to be 100% because you have, like me, you've done both platforms, but you've been the founder behind this. So um, Indiegogo charges, and please do correct me if I'm wrong, but Indiegogo charges um, backers if and when on the spot, right? Kickstarter waits until the end of the campaign, which can then uh, open, there's increased risk of fraud and credit card bouncing. Um, And so... Backer kit, have you been able to effectively use them to like recover some of those um, transactions that may have been lost because of Kickstarter? Yes. Okay. Yeah. Absolutely, it's super useful for that. So just to give, uh, every, this is a this is kind of the difference between authorizing and capturing a payment on a credit card. Kickstarter will authorize a payment when you make a pledge on Kickstarter, which means that say you're ordering a one hundred dollar razor, it will reserve one hundred dollars on your credit card, but not charge it. And then at the end of the campaign, it charges it. And there's a variety of reasons that, that that eventual charge can be declined. But essentially, that backer just declines out of your campaign. Um, many times, they want to actually pledge and just something you know, normal life stuff happens and, and the charge didn't go through on their card. Um, and they have some time to do it on Kickstarter. I think there's this one or two weeks. Um, but say they're away on vacation or they didn't get the email because Kickstarter's flagged to spam or whatever it is. Um, BackerKit gives kind of a safety net to for those backers who, who really do want to be in your campaign, but their pledge just totally errored out. Um, so, so we kept, yeah, we uh, we were able to get a lot of backers 
back on back on the campaign that we're quite relieved to have the opportunity to uh, to continue their support. Yeah, because last thing you want is to lose five to ten k in sales that you thought you had. Um, speaking of which, guys, if you want to sign up for Backerkit, go to backerkit.com and use code Uncut at checkout to save fifty percent off of their setup fees. Um, that's U N C U T, and again, link is in the show notes and whatever. So, just thought it'd be a good good chance for a sponsor spot. <laughs> nice, yeah, yeah. They're, a, they're a great service. But yeah, Backerkit is the reason that you and I know each other now. So. Yes which is yeah. great. Hey, James, if you're listening, both say hi. Hey, James. <laughs> but anyways, sorry, back to this. Uh, yeah, I mean, my last question to you is, and this is a hard one that I get stumped on, but y- your preferences from a creator, do you prefer Indiegogo or Kickstarter and why? Um, so this is, it's an interesting question. It should be simple, but it's not. It's um, uh, I find... In the interest of the, if you have a fully developed product that you have physical prototypes for, um, then then I think that Kickstarter's larger user base makes Kickstarter a better platform for you, uh, for for your main launch. Um, that also that I should also add, if you already have a community, say like a mailing list, um, and you already kind of have a good idea of how crowdfunding works, Kickstarter is super hands off, but a bigger list. Uh, uh, sorry, not list, a bigger user base, so a higher number of people that could potentially find your campaign. Um, that being said, if if your product is not absolutely fully done, but you're you must be very confident that you can absolutely produce it the way that you're saying. Um, and you're, it's kind of maybe your first time crowdfunding, uh, and you don't really know a ton about it, uh, if you'd like to speak to a human being um, uh, and, and you potentially are looking for that help, uh, really more hands-on help, I find that Indiegogo, just when I speak to people, I've never launched my first campaign on Indiegogo, um, but Indiegogo would be a better fit for that. That being said, Indiegogo does offer a really interesting product called Indiegogo In Demand, which allows you essentially Kickstarter ends between 30 and 60 days. In Demand is an extension of your Kickstarter campaign that allows you to continue uh, accepting pre-orders essentially until your ship date, um, which I've, I've used for both the Model T and the Chrome series campaigns, which has allowed me to, obviously there are many people who'd be thrilled to, to support your project, who just happened to not hear about it during the 30-day campaign window. So I think that in-demand is a, a totally uh, a totally wonderful uh, service to help uh, campaign creators and backers connect post-original campaign frame. So what about this? Just say you, you, fin- you wrap up your Kickstarter and you don't want to do in-demand, but you have the capabilities on your own website to continue pre-orders. Which do, would you... Still do in demand, considering you need to give them a five or eight percent cut of those transition, uh, whatever those transactions, or do you just host it on your own domain? Like, have you tried that before to see pros and cons? Uh, yes, yeah, so I think we we did the host on on our own domain um, for the success campaign way way back in the day. Um, I found in demand to be uh, good because our our campaigns had raised. I, I don't know what the threshold is now, but frankly, um, we we were able to get a good relationship with Indiegogo where they did have, they did provide a little marketing support for our campaigns on their platform. So, so in addition to obviously being listed on the platform, I believe there were some emails sent out for both campaigns that, that certainly drew uh, a number of backers to the campaign. Um, 
So, so that was that was immensely helpful in kind of increasing the exposure of the campaigns and connecting with with people who are interested in our products. Um, so, so that was good. But if if you feel like that doesn't, you know, that potential support or you didn't raise enough to make it interesting for Indiegogo Indiegogo to collaborate with you on in demand, um, then certainly there'd be no harm, no foul in hosting it on your own site. Yeah, it makes sense. I like the point you bring up about social proof with, I mean, because what I've done um, for websites after is we'll change the the header section and say, hey, we just raised 400K on Indiegogo, click here to f- join our mailing list or find out when you could pre-order or whatever, right? Um, but yeah, it's cool. There's Because you're saying there's no right or wrong way to do it. You just have to measure what is more important to you and if you have the margins to support um, additional like percentages off your raise. But yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. so cool. Okay, um, we could talk for hours, but I'm going to leave this with one last question. If you could give yourself a- advice at the very beginning of this, what would be one thing you would do differently? Uh, are we talking at a before the success campaign, or maybe kind of after after that whole debacle and going into the more new uh, iteration of Rockwell in like early 2016? I'm going to say both, actually. Okay. Um, yeah, I'm going to say both. Okay. So if I'm a total rookie, I've never made a product before, I've never crowdfunded before, um, just really, like, don't be lazy. Any time that you have the possibility to get involved in any aspect of the business and learn anything that you can about product development, uh, marketing, design, fulfillment, like just, just grab on every single opportunity to learn as much as possible. If this really is, if you're interested in kind of, um, going into business for yourself or creating your own company of value, it's just, I can't highlight enough that it's so important to have at least like a cursory understanding of every single aspect of an e-commerce business. And it'll just pay dividends in massive, massive ways for you to invest that time at the beginning. It's super hard. You're constantly learning things that just you've never experienced before. And your brain will probably have a lot of pushback, um, but it's just, it's so immensely worth it. Um, and I guess if, if you're, uh, if you kind of know what you're doing with crowdfunding, you're, it's maybe not your first, your first rodeo. Um, you've been in e-commerce for a while. You're an Amazon seller and you're considering, uh, going onto Kickstarter. Um, just, it's actually, it's kind of a similar, similar idea. Just again, like don't, don't be lazy, but from a customer service perspective, I think I just really want to point out, like a, I believe a sometimes forgotten aspect of crowdfunding is the the backer uh, creator relationship. I've seen some really really successful campaigns in terms of financial raise that just forget about the backer creator dynamic, um, which is that these you know you have a crowd of people who've supported you financially because they believe in something that you've pitched, and and it is absolutely you or someone really trustworthy and close to you on your team, it's your job to to keep them appraised in a real way and actually care about those backers and illustrate to them that you care through meaningful updates, meaningful and honest replies to their comments, uh, really fostering that community and that relationship. Because as you try to grow your campaign into a growing regular e-commerce business, that relationship is all that you have. Um, and, and I encourage you to foster and nurture it in, in every way and every opportunity that you can. I, oh man, I love this episode. I was going to like, I'm, this is, this is the nerd speak that makes me really happy. <laughs> I'm, I'm glad. I, I hope it's, I, 
just I really do feel it is a it's a forgotten kind of facet of, of crowdfunding a lot. So hopefully, so hopefully much. that just does kind of um, a spark spark a little reminder everyone everyone who's who's listening who's you know done a campaign if you haven't updated your backers in a month or you haven't you have some unanswered comments please please just go just go answer them foster that community and, and kind of build that relationship and yeah if you guys want to know um how to handle it when you're because this has been the topic of the last few podcasts i've done but if you are like okay it's been a month and i literally have nothing to tell my backers um i did a podcast episode it was when uh, Michael Mataluni first came on to talk about how uh, Thing Charger was like massively delayed and how they were still able to keep their backers happy with consistent updates, even if they had nothing to tell them. I'm um, just going to pull up which episode that was. I'm searching. Yeah, delays okay. are super hard. Uh, number 60, reversing the manufacturing death spiral. How to recover when your <laughs> manufacturer flakes and suddenly you can't afford to fulfill. So common topic here. But, yeah, that sounds like a nightmare. Yeah, so it's episode 60. That will be in the show notes or just go to crowdfundinguncut.com slash blog, scroll, you'll find it. Um, but man, Garrett, this has been amazing. Thanks so much for coming on the show and sharing your expertise. I just see this being the beginning of a lot of uh, different cool things that we'll be doing together. So Yeah, no, I'm looking forward to it. And uh, yeah, we'll, we'll grab coffee in a few weeks. Sounds good. All right. And uh, hey, my last question to you is where can people find you if they want more information about what you do? Um, so I guess you can check out uh, rockwellrazors.com. Um, I'm, I'm hoping to kind of create a little bit of synthesized resource on, on crowdfunding on some of the stuff we talked about. But uh, just for now, uh, let me know that you're if you have any questions, you're interested in kind of being kept appraised. I'm at gareth at rockwellrazors.com. So okay. G-A-R-E-T-H at rockwellrazors.com. Awesome. And just again for subject line, please just say crowdfunding uncut or something to that effect so he knows where you came from. Yeah, that would be great. So, all right. Well, thanks so much uh, for coming on the show. Thanks, Kirsten. Talk soon. That wraps up episode 132 of the Crowdfunding Uncut podcast. We have two more episodes and Crowdfunding Uncut is done. We are doing this because after three years of doing this podcast, it's now time to shift gears with a new brand, new focus. It will still be in the product launch space. Don't worry. We're just looking at making things a lot better for you. So um, as May 15th approaches, that is the launch date for the new brand and the new podcast. I will not reveal that to you just yet. However, to stay up to date, be sure to head over to our new hub, which is kirsten.com. It's K-H-I-E-R-S-T-Y-N.com. Apart from that, let's head over to our next episode with Timothy Moser, where we are taking a look at how to facilitate a giveaway contest as a way to have a big first day of your launch. Are you launching a product on either Kickstarter or Shopify and you're feeling completely overwhelmed with the process? Hi there, my name is Kirsten, the CEO of Launch and Scale. To date, we've helped several online sellers sell millions of dollars online and scale their business from zero to seven figures by focusing on building an audience of fans that will actually convert into paying customers. If you're serious about building a seven-figure e-commerce brand with less time and less risk, you should check out our product launch pad. PLP is a proven accelerator that takes you step-by-step through the process of launching and 
scaling your product brand. Brands like the Monk Manual, Aberlite, Series Chill, Jamstack, and several others were all launched using our product launchpad. So if you'd like to be our next success story, go to launchandscale.co slash PLP to learn more. And for a limited time, we're offering a seven-day trial of the product launchpad for only $1. Again, go to launchandscale.co slash PLP to learn more.